0: Well, our scripture reading this morning is going to be taken from the book of James. We're taking a, a quick break from Mark this week. James chapter 1. and We're going to be reading verses 12 through 18. Verses 12 through 18. You guys know that uh, clowns have been in the news the last couple of weeks. Uh, evidently, clowns have been supposedly trying to lure Children. Into the woods in the Greenville area and in the, the Greensboro area, and, and clowns are always creepy anyway. Yeah, my favorite news report about this so far is that evidently someone with a machete chased one of the clowns into the woods. I don't know if that's true or not, but but that's what's been reported. I'd love to have seen that. Um, several it brings to mind several years ago, kind of a weird clown event that was that was in the news a few years ago. There was this young woman who was babysitting for a family and there were two kids and she had put these kids to bed and she wanted to watch television for a little bit and there wasn't a television on the main floor so she went downstairs and watched television for a little bit well she kind of looked over in the corner and there's this creepy clown statue in the corner and it was kind of wigging her out she couldn't really pay attention to the television and so she went back upstairs and there was no television in the main area, but there was one in the, the parents' bedroom. So she called them and said, is it okay if I can watch television in y'all's bedroom? That clown statue y'all have downstairs is just wigging me out. And the parents said, we don't have a clown statue. What are you talking about? You need to get out of there. And so they called the police, and it turns out there was this little person who had escaped from the mental institution who was actually in their house. And I just made all that up. I love, I, love that. <laughs> I deceived you. Um, I, I do that every four years. i come back in four years, and I'll tell that story again. W- why am I telling that story? Because it's a lot of fun. Why, why, why am I telling that story? Well, because I just deceived you. The young woman in the story was deceived about the identity of the statue. It was actually a deranged person. And we're going to talk about deception this morning. Deception. Uh, and how deception works against us in our efforts at sanctification. Uh, there's, a, there's a gap that all of us have between who we are and who we'd like to be. Between who we are and who we'd like to be. Think of all the, the resolutions you make in New Year's. Think of all the resolutions we make throughout the year. Like I'm going to change. I'm this person and I'm going to become this person. This is the year... That I'm going to change, but it can seem like sometimes no matter how hard we work at closing that gap, we, we don't we don't feel like we ever make any progress, and we're right back where we start where we started from. And one of the things that keeps us from making any progress in that, and that we're going to see in this text, is is some of the things we're deceived about and deception. So let's look at this together, and then we're going to talk about several ways that we are deceived. So James one. Uh, Verse 12, and I'll start reading here in, in, in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures." We pray for us. Father, this is uh, your word, and you've given it to us, and I pray that you'd make it plain to us, that you would help me to communicate uh, the truths of your word clearly, and that if I don't do that, that you would work anyway, uh, that you would be merciful to us uh, and help us to grow in grace, help us to get a a bigger picture of who you are and and to love you more as a result uh, of spending this time in your word this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's just kind of jump in here. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under a trial. Is kind of a hinge. I know we're jumping in the middle of chapter 1. It's kind of a hinge in this chapter. The first 11 verses of James chapter 1 are about trials and tribulations and how it's possible for us as believers to rejoice in the middle of trials. And so verse 12, James seemed to be kind of wrapping up what he said about trials and rejoicing in trials. And then in verse 13, he jumps straight from trials into temptation. Now, what's the connection there? Why does he go from talking about trials and then almost mid-verse here begins to talk about temptation? The Greek word that's translated trial in verse 12 is translated tempted... In verse 13, they're actually the same word and they can have a different nuance depending on the context. In fact, one version translates verse 13 this way. Never when you're being put to the test, say God is tempting me. Never when you're being put to the test, say that God is tempting me. So James is is segueing from trials to temptations. Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? I think it's because times of trial can be tempting times, right? Times when things are not going well can be those times when we're tempted to seek solace and comfort and hope in things other than God. Whether it's a health issue, whether you lose your job, you've got bills hanging over you, you've got a stressful test or paper to complete, these things sort of loom over us And we get to that point where it's like, man, I've just had enough of this. And I've got to escape. I've got to let off a little steam. And we find ourselves in those moments of trial uh, being more apt to give in to temptation. We find ourselves doing things we wish we hadn't. And James is saying when that happens, when there's a trial in your life which brings temptation and you give in to that, don't blame that on God. Don't blame that on God. You have to own that. You have to take responsibility for what you do. And that's the, so that's the first type of deception we see here. We can be deceived about the relationship between us and sin. We can be deceived about the relationship between us and sin. We want to blame sin on something outside of us. When actually the, the cause of sin is inside of us. The problem is inside of us. We think the cause of our behavior is always located out there somewhere. The, the devil made me do it or someone caused me to do it. When the cause is actually, the root cause is actually within us. Uh, James is addressing specifically the situation where someone is tempted and they fall into sin and they say, God tempted me. God brought this into my path. God's responsible for this. And James says, whoa, whoa, wait wait a minute. God didn't tempt you here. That's not in the nature of God. That's not who God is. You want to blame this on God, but you're actually the one who's responsible for it. You are enticed. You are seduced by your own desire. You did this because at the end of the day, you you wanted to do this. And that's where the, the fault in your sin, that's where it lies. Now, honestly, as a pastor, I don't, feel, I don't hear many people using this excuse uh, today. That, oh, well, God tempted me. And so it's, it's God's fault. But I do hear people say, well, I've been struggling with this sin. And I've been reading my Bible. And I've been asking God to take it away from me. And He just hadn't done it. He just hasn't done it. I, I would like to quit. I don't want to be like this, but God hasn't taken this away from me. And do you see how that subtly shifts the responsibility for our actions from ourself to God? Well, if he would just take it away, then, then I would be okay. Uh, the other way we tend to do this, uh, avoid taking responsibility for our behavior, is by blaming the circumstances. Like I only yelled at you because you made me so mad because you did that stupid thing. I only gave them that hand gesture in traffic because they don't know how to drive. You know, if they knew how to drive, then this this never would have happened. I only lied because my boss was going to fire me if he knew what really happened. Uh, Jonathan Edwards once said something along the lines of, "You only do at the end of the day what you most desire to do." You only do at the end of the day what you most desire to do. The the boss didn't force you to lie. You chose to do what was in line with your deepest desire at the moment, which was holding on to your job at all costs. And so situations don't cause us to sin, but they they reveal what was already in our hearts to begin with. So James says, first of all, don't be deceived about who's responsible for your actions. You and I have to to own our our actions. Secondly, James says don't be deceived about where all of this is actually going to lead. Look at verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so James says you are lured, you are enticed. He even uses imagery of seduced. By what? By your own desires, by your own desires, and those desires give birth to sin, and sin leads to death. I don't think that's the way we—that's we, like that, that doesn't run around in our brains a lot when we're facing temptation. You know, we we look at sin and we think, "Well, I won't go that far." I'm not, I'm not going to go all the way down the road with it. I'm just going to indulge just a little bit. And, and it won't be that bad. I can keep it under control. I can keep this chocolate pie on my desk and eat just one bite without... I'm not going to be tempted to eat the rest of it. It'll be fine. I can, I can dabble in this a little bit. We're more like that fish who sees the lure and, and, and bites the lure. It's flashy and we go for it and we're hooked and we're reeled in and we're caught and we're clean and we're cooked and we're eating... Um, sin leads downhill it always has this downhill trajectory toward death but our flesh always wants us to think well they're just desires and what's the harm in giving in to my desires and aren't unfulfilled desires actually bad I don't want to have repressed desires I need to be able to fulfill this and James says look even when you dabble with that even when you're just dabbling with it in your mind Think about where it's leading. Think about the trajectory of sin. How many people have said, well, I'm never going to wind up there. And then they do. They do. Never intended to get there. Don't be deceived, James says, about who's responsible for your sin. Don't be deceived about where it all leads. And then thirdly, don't be deceived about where the real problem is. Don't be deceived about where the real problem is. Here's what I mean. If the engine on your car is about to go out, are you going to fix the car by painting it? Well, yeah, I mean, it'll look better, but you won't have done anything for it. Uh, you can't fix something on the inside by dealing with what's on the outside. It's the same way with our behavior. We see these sinful habits that we're trapped in, and we think, I've got to stop doing that, which is a good thing to think, and so we decide our next step then is, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get an accountability partner. And that, that's okay. Uh, or I'm going to make a resolution to read my Bible more. And that reading your Bible is good. I, as a pastor, I encourage that. Uh, or we think, well, I just need to build some sort of protection, some kind of hedge to keep myself from getting into this situation again. But hedges tend to develop holes and we, we find ways to, to stick our heads through the, through the holes in the hedge and find ourselves stuck again. Uh, so much of our attempts at dealing with our sin and our behavior issues is just us trying to t- exert brute willpower. Like, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to be better. And when other people come to us, it's, that's the way our advice sounds sometimes. We just need to, we just need to stop doing that. Uh, there's a, one of my favorite uh, Bob Newhart skits, and some of you have heard me use this illustration before, uh, Bob Newhart is, is playing a counselor and this lady comes into his office and he says "Yeah, you're that lady who's got the fear of being buried alive in a box and she says hey, well, that's me and he says look this is how it works $5 for the first 5 minutes and then if it takes longer than that everything after that is free it usually doesn't take any more than 5 minutes tell me about your problem she says Well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. And I start to panic. He says, has anybody ever tried to bury you alive in a box? No, but I can't go through tunnels or ride in elevators or go into houses. Anything boxy, like I can't handle it. He says, okay, I I get it. You're claustrophobic. Yes, I am. Okay, I've got two words for you. I want you to listen very carefully. Do, do you, I need to write them down? No? Okay, good. I think you can remember them anyway. Are you ready? Stop it. Stop it. What? Stop it. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. Stop it. Stop doing that. This is not Yiddish. Stop it. All right, I've got two minutes left. Do you have any more problems? And the lady says, I'm bulimic and I stick my fingers in my mouth. And he says, don't do that. Are you nuts? Stop it. I get into self-destructive relationships with men. Well, stop it. I wash my hands a lot. Well, uh, that's okay. You can do that. You can do that. I'm afraid to drive. Stop it. Get in your car and drive. I don't, I don't like this, he says. You're just telling me to stop it. And this isn't helping me a whole lot. And finally, New York says, okay, let me, let me slow down. i got, I got ten words for you this time. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> stop it or I'll bury you. And you can see how like this, is, uh, this is often our approach to sanctification. Like, just, just stop. And we figure out if we can just make the consequences big enough, then somehow we'll finally stop what we're doing. And look, our behavior does have to change. Our, our wills are involved in what we're doing. But James is saying you've got a much bigger problem, a deeper problem that's not being addressed when you just operate on this stop it level. Verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The NIV translate, translates that evil desires. A better translation is actually over desire." Over desires. See, the the problem is not necessarily that we want bad things. The problem is that we want good things too much. The problem is that we want good things too much. That that our heart latches on to good things instead of latching on to God. Uh, Stephen Speaks is the the longtime RUF campus minister at Clemson. and, And he put it this way. Uh, he said we all have molecular hearts. We all have molecular hearts and what he meant is this uh, your heart and, and my hearts are like molecules and a little bit more think about oxygen atom. oxygen atom always binds to something. two oxygen atoms bind together you, you get oxygen uh, or uh, they really form O2. Two, two oxygen atoms and a hydrogen atom bond together and you get water. They bind with carbon. You get carbon dioxide. And so like that, our heart always attaches to something else. It's like those oxygen atoms. It's always looking for something to attach to. And if your heart attaches to money, what you get is greed. If your heart attaches to relationships, what you become is clingy. Our hearts always attach to something. And whatever our heart's attached to becomes this character-shaping thing in our lives. Uh, if our heart is attached to our team and our team loses the big game, we're not just sad, we're and devastated, and it like flows over into worship on Sunday morning. There's this over-desire for the success of our team. Our heart has attached to that instead of attaching to God. I had someone tell me a while back that they realized. That they were struggling with anger because their heart had attached to success. And whenever their success was was threatened, they felt themselves becoming more and more angry. Uh, When you struggle with worry, it's not enough just to say to yourself, "I, I really need to stop worrying. You've got to see what your heart has attached itself to that's leading to that worry. And often your heart has attached itself to control. You've got an over-desire for control. Uh, We've got to to look at these sins in our lives, and we do want to work on our behavior, but we need to see what's underneath that behavior. What's going on in our lives at a heart level? What's the over-desire that's operating there? What have we attached ourselves to? And we've got to be able to identify these things and say these things control. I've been worshiping you, but but you're a false God. Success. I've been been giving my life to you, but you would never give your life for me. You're a false God. You're a lying God. You're just going to leave me burdened and weighted down. See, the the real problem is that we find ourselves looking to idols. Our hearts attach themselves to idols, to these many saviors that we entrust ourselves to instead of entrusting ourselves to jesus i think we can find life through them but they always lead us astray when i get the respect i deserve then i'll be happy when i get organized then i'll be happy when i have enough pleasurable experiences then i'll be happy and our heart attaches themselves to these things and behavior patterns spiral out of that And James is telling us, if you really want to change, don't just look at your behavior. Look at what's underneath the behavior. Look at what your heart is attaching itself to. Look at those over-desires in your life. Don't be deceived, he says, by who's responsible for your behavior. Don't be deceived about where sin leads. And don't be deceived about where the real problem is the real problem is not out here at the behavioral level the real problem is in here in our hearts there's one more thing here and I think this is kind of the key to the whole text uh, James tells us not to be deceived about what the real solution is or to put it another way don't be deceived about the goodness of God don't be deceived about the goodness of God uh, there's this tendency we have, we look at the commands of Scripture and we look at the desires of our hearts and we're like, man, I hear what Scripture's saying, but I really desire this over here. And that those people are having a lot of fun doing that. And I think my life would be better if I had this in my life. And God, it really feels like You're keeping something for me, that You're kind of holding out on me, that You're kind of keeping me from the good life. Are you really good if you're telling me I can't have this? I, if you've read the Harry Potter series, it's kind of how Harry begins to feel about Dumbledore. Is, is he really good? Is he really for me or is he holding out on me? And, and James says, don't, don't be deceived. God is good. He's not holding out on you. Every good and perfect gift is from Him. Uh, the scripture tells us God even gives gifts. He gives the gift of rain to the just and to the unjust, to the sinner and to the saint. He gives these gifts of common grace to all of us, whether we're believers or not. But He gives us relationships that are good things, money, which is a good thing, um, education, which is a good, which is a good thing order which is a good thing good thing excuse me but these things that God gives us these good gifts uh, they're meant to be used in the way that God instructs us to use them he knows how they're best used uh, these gifts that he gives us are also not meant to be the thing that we latch on to which is our tendency we're always latching on to the gift instead of latching on to the giver of the gift. The gifts are meant to point us back up to the giver of the gift. The gifts are meant to point us back up to God Himself. These things are good, yes, and enjoy them. But know that your heart is not made to bond to these things. Your heart is made to bond to God. So don't be deceived. God, God isn't holding out on you. He gives good gifts, He is good. Don't be deceived by the gifts either. They're not what your heart is made to bond with. Your heart is made to bond with God. But you say, how do I know that? How, how do I know that He's good? How do I know that He's for me? How do I know that He's not holding out on me? Look at verse 18. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Ephesians 1 puts it this way In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What James is doing at verse 18 is he's pointing us, he's pointing his readers back to the new birth. Back to the fact that when we were dead in sin, when we were lost, that God gave us new life through the message of the Gospel. Through the message of the Gospel. God hasn't been holding out on you. He's been extremely good to you in the person of Jesus Christ, in this message of the Gospel. And here's the thing, if if we're going to change while we need to unmask these idols and see how they lie to us, it's not enough just to see that. We also have to see what Jesus has done for us and to rejoice in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Rejoice in the salvation that we have in Christ. Rejoice that Jesus is the true Savior that we've been looking for so far. Um, whether, if you're this one, whether you're a Christian or not, we're all looking for Saviors. We're all looking for for something that will deliver us from the futility of life in a fallen world. Uh, G.K. Chesterton put it this way, the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. What's he actually looking for when he goes in there? He's unconsciously actually looking for God. We look for saviors and money power, and academic success, in in job success, and security and pleasure. And Chester says, what you're really looking for in all that is God. What you're really looking for in all that is a savior. And James says, if you want to change, if you want to see your behavior change, you've got to see Jesus as the Savior that you need. You have to remember that God has graciously provided a Savior for you in spite of all your pursuit of false saviors and running after them. God has come to you in the person of Jesus Christ and said, I'm the Savior that you need. And I freely offer myself for you and to you in the Gospel. See, our, our hearts, if our hearts are going to be changed, they have to be changed by a vision of that by grasping that, by by falling in love with God's grace to us. We've, we've got to fall in love, not just at a will level, but at a heart level and see what God has done for us in Christ. He has to be the treasure that we cling to and seek. Uh, Thomas Chalmers says, the heart's desire for having some object or other is unconquerable. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is is by the expulsive power of a new one. Our hearts, we have to be given new desires for Christ. For Christ. And that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit as we are immersed in the message of the Gospel. And we grab hold of that instead of all these other saviors we want to run after. How do you change? How is your uh, heart attachment and my heart attachment to control and success, everything else loosened? We've got to see the false saviors for what they are, but we've got to see the goodness of God for who He is in the message of the Gospel. Jesus is the only Savior out of all those saviors who would willingly give Himself for you, who would willingly die for you because He loves you so much. Don't be deceived by your over-desires, but don't be deceived about the goodness of God. He's not holding out on you. He loves you, and He has made that known in the Gospel. He bids you to to come to Jesus in faith and experience that welcome and forgiveness and love. Let me pray for us. Father, I I pray that we would not be deceived. Uh, I pray that You would help us to to close the gap between who we are and who we would uh, like to be. I pray that that would not be something that we try to tackle at a behavior level, but that you would begin to expose the desires of our hearts, that you would expose the things we latch onto other than you, uh, and that you would show us Jesus, the Savior that we need, and that you would bind our heart to Him, and that that would be uh, life-changing, character-changing, and even transforming of our behavior. We pray it all.